Lord Jesus, as we come to the scriptures, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, would you show us who you are? Would you cause our our hearts and our minds to focus on you in a way that transforms us? Lord Jesus, please speak to us through your words. Amen. Well, we are in Corinthians this morning. And where in Corinthians are we up to? I know it's been a week or two. That's right, chapter 3. We're going to recap. So it's been a fortnight since we've been in Corinthians. We'll talk a little bit about where we were at a fortnight as we go through. But please have your Bible open. Um, And we're going to read along from verse 1. The text I have up here on the screen is from the NIV. Um, And we'll uh, we'll end up at the very end of chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like me, human beings? But when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not me, human beings? Remember, the first four chapters of Corinthians, Paul is dealing with one issue, which is that people in the church were bragging um, about who had baptized them, that they were doing this, this one-upmanship uh, kind of super spiritual, oh, well, you know, I, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. Well, I follow Christ sort of stuff. And this is what Paul spends a number of what we have now as chapters addressing. Verse 5, Paul goes on, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, literally diaconia, deacons, those who wait on tables, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then this is where we, we wound up a fortnight ago. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, Paul writes, and someone else is building on it. That was Apollos. But then Paul says, each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, that is Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, literally the apocalypsis, will bring it to light. The great and terrible day of the Lord will bring to light what someone has built in their life. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And we, we sat with this incredibly uncomfortable uh, passage of Scripture a fortnight ago that everything that every one of us has built in our life will be evaluated with the fire of God on the, on the day of the Lord. And what passes through the fire and is not consumed is the stuff that is of eternal value to God. Verse 14, Paul goes on here. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. There will be something to show for it. If it was something that was of eternal value to God, there will be something to show for it. Verse 15, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. 
but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. And we, we use this word picture. Remember, I talked about the flooding that my family saw years ago um, up in Gatton where it swept through the valley and wiped houses away and there was just a concrete slab with bits of pipe sticking out of it that was left. As this picture of going, you know what, if we build our lives of things that are not of eternal value, then what happens is on the day that we stand before God, the foundation survives because the foundation is Christ. We have salvation and that's it. This phrase could very easily apply to any one of us to be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And we pick up our reading for this week. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Again, Paul contrasting the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. He's been doing that a lot the last few chapters. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness. In God's sight, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. These six verses are where we're going to spend the next couple of minutes because Paul here starts rounding up these big ideas. And this passage only makes sense if we understand the context that it sits in. Paul says, do not deceive yourselves. He's just spent all of this time talking about the pitfalls of us investing our time or investing our life or investing our energy or our resources um, our decision-making, our values into stuff which is meaningful for the world but not meaningful for God. And here he says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, in other words, fools according to the world, so that you may become wise according to God. And we need to talk about this issue that Paul is writing to a group of Christians They have all the information that they need, and yet there is something at work in their heart that they want the world around them to look at them and say, oh, that person is wise. What goes on in in someone's heart, in their heart, in my heart, in your heart, that we want to be wise by the world's standards, that we have a desire, a want, for the people of the world, whoever they are, to look at us and say that person is a wise person. If someone does that, what does it actually give us? If we had that thing that we desire, if the Corinthians had the very thing that Paul is talking to them about, if, if someone looked at you and said, wow, that person is a wise person, what would it give you? It'd probably make you feel good. It kind of strokes the ego a bit. It, re- it actually reminded me as I was sitting looking at this this week of um, of that song from Fiddler on the Roof. You guys, who here has actually seen Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, good. So we're a cultured group of people. Um, 
Who here has watched Bathurst this year? Let's test how cultured we are. <laughs> Less cultured than I thought. I expected more Bathurst. Um, and the, this, this main character, Reb Tevye, in, um, in Fiddler on the Roof, he, wants, he, he sings this song, If I Was a Rich Man. And then right where the song re- reaches its peak, he says, you know what, if, if I was wealthy, then the most important men in town will come to fawn on me and they will ask me to advise them like Solomon the wise. If you please, Reb Tevye, pardon me, Reb Tevye, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. This idea of wanting the world to look at us and see us as wise is nothing new. Ultimately, when when we are wanting to compare ourselves to other people and to have other people look up to us, it is about it's about identity, and that we are measuring who we are against other people. This is the way fashion works. Oh, you know what? You want to have a better life. You want to have better social standing. You want to have um, better status. Wear this clothing. Drive this car. Have this stuff. This is the lure of money. This is the lure of titles. This is the lure of experiences. Is is so often this thing of going, that way I will know when I measure myself against others that I'm I'm higher up the pile than they are. I'm going to know that I'm someone if other people look at me and say that person is wise. Look, look at the way that person lives. Look at, look at the things that they have. Look at the way they walk. The dilemma of this is that what Paul is describing here is people who are self-deceived. He says, do not deceive yourselves. This is a group of people who have ended up looking at everyone else around them and using them as a mirror rather than using God as the mirror, which James talks about in his letter. Using other people as a mirror and saying, how do I compare to that person? I will change, I'll change the way that I look or I will change things about my life so that in the eyes of that person I have purpose. In the eyes of that person I have meaning or I am being approved of or I have significance or acceptance or validation or or security in a social way. I really, really care what that person thinks of me. It means that we have placed ourselves before their judgment seat. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers, talks about the way that this plays out, that first of all, we stand before the judgment seat of others. And then inevitably what happens is that we call God to come and stand before our judgment seat. And we tell him whether we accept what he says or not. Do not deceive yourselves. Happens a lot in conversations, particularly in Aussie culture at the moment, around sexuality. Just to go, you know what, we we are wise by the standards of this age. If, If we... If we say something or present something or communicate in a way which is wise to the world, they will accept us. They will validate us and go, oh, you're from one of those groups of Christians. Yeah, we, you know, we, we understand, you know, you're really good. Part of, part of getting out of that mindset of seeking the world's approval is understanding that if we faithfully 
try to represent the Lord, it's going to look, as Paul says, like foolishness. We will look like fools if we are wise in God's eyes. This is our default setting. When we look back to the early chapters of Genesis, we see that God brings humanity into existence in such a way that their identity and their significance and their acceptance and everything about them flows from God. God tells them who they are. God tells them what is valuable. God tells them what is meaningful. God tells them how to occupy their time. And everything, the Lord says that he looked at all that he had made and it was very good. And when that broke and shattered and came apart, when all of a sudden sacrifice and the shedding of blood became necessary to deal with sin and to deal with holiness, what happens is that God is no longer intimate. God is foreign. So the laws have to be given to reintroduce God to humanity. But what do human beings do in the absence of God? What do they do with their sense of identity? What do they do with wanting to to feel significant? What do they do with with wanting to feel validated, they make their own stuff up. We see this with kids. This is a a huge conversation in Western culture, is when we have children and when we have adolescents and there is no grown-up adult voice speaking into their life in a strong, profound, cohesive way, letting them know how to become adults, they make their own stuff up. How, how does a young man in Australia know that he's really becoming, you know, a, an adult male? Get drunk, get high, get into bed with someone, get a speeding ticket, get your car wrapped around a light pole, get arrested. They make stuff up. This is what Paul is describing here. In the absence of God, we, we think that we've come up with wise ways of measuring the value of life. It's our default setting. But at heart here, Paul is talking about a desire. These first three verses fundamentally pose a question to us. Do we want the world's opinion or God's opinion? And if I want to be wise in God's sight, am I prepared to pay the price? Am I I able to accept that I'm going to be at war with the world? Paul summarizes really well here. No surprise there. He comes back to the original issue, the way that this heart attitude was manifesting in the behavior of the Corinthian church. He says, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. Takes them back to, to the main issue. He says, all things are actually already yours. And this is why following the Lord and having the Lord call the shots in our life looks like foolishness to the world because if you belong to Christ, everything actually is already yours. Everything that Paul mentions here is yours already. Anything that belonged to Paul or Apollos or Peter is actually already yours. It's all already yours. The world already belongs to those who will rule and reign with Christ. It's actually already yours. Life and death are yours. We have no reason to be afraid of death when we have Christ who has overcome death. Death is no longer the scariest thing in the room. Christ is. The present, the future, all are yours. This, is, this looks so foolish to the rest of the world. 
Because when people start calling out to us, again, about things like fashion or about things like titles or, or status or any of these other things, in light of the glory of Christ, chasing these temporary things is a really, really dumb, vacuous, hollow, shallow distraction. If you have Christ, everything is already yours. How easily we can get hung up on temporary things, on things that in light of the Lord's day actually have no meaning at all. See, from God's point of view, you have everything that you need. As we sang this morning, Christ is enough. We prayed earlier on in this service that Jesus would be our focus. So in a moment, I'm going to get Ali to play a song. Uh, not from back there, but from back there. It's a song that will be on the screen. Because I would love for us to have some space at the moment where we don't necessarily have to sing the words and, and take our thoughts off this and onto something else. I want you to keep your mind on Christ. And let the Spirit of God sift in your heart some of the things that Paul has, has mentioned here, that desire for, for approval from the rest of the world. And you know what? If you know that there is stuff that you have got hung up on that is actually meaningless, ask the Lord to help you take it away. Ask him to take it away. Spend that moment with him. If as you sit and as we reflect during this song, if you realize that there are voices in your heart and in your mind which are louder than the voice of God, ask him to take them away. If after the service this morning, there's something that the Lord's really put his finger on that you want to have a chat about, I'm going to be hanging out down here at the front of the church building. If people do hang out, everyone else in the room, don't stare at them, please. This is a, a moment for us to just check our heading. Make sure that we are moving in God's direction. To go, you know what, have I picked up excess baggage that actually I don't need? Let's pray and then I'll ask Ali if she would play this song. And at the end of the song, that will be the end of the service. All right, I'm not going to hop back up and pray again. There is tea and coffee on this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to be your people. We want to live lives that are meaningful and lives of purpose, lives that are of eternal value and significance. But Lord God, we live in such a polluted age. Lord Jesus, we live in a world of noise where every radio station and phone and, and poster that we drive past is yelling out at us about temporary things, telling us to build in our lives with wood and hay and straw, things that will not be shown to be of eternal value. Lord Jesus, would you meet with us and transform us? We don't want to walk that way anymore. Lord Jesus, for those who are here this morning who commit in their heart to be transformed, Lord Jesus, would you meet with them in a powerful way that can be attributed only to you. 
Lord, we ask now for the conviction of sin and righteousness. Would you show us in our heart of hearts your glory and your beauty and what you have called us to? We pray because of the blood of Christ. Amen.